Hello, my lovelies, and happy Pride Month. I'm recording this on June 3rd, and this month we are going to be diving into some English folk tales. And I'm excited because some of these are just really kind of kooky and just fun. But um, I'm also excited because, again, I'm hoping I get to bring you guys stories that you may not have heard before. Um, That's one of the big things for me on this podcast. So this morning, I am going to read to you Jack the Giant Killer. Now, don't get this Jack mixed up with Jack and the Beanstalk, or How Jack Sought the Golden Apples, which we are going to read later this month. For some reason, the English sure do like to name their folktale heroes Jack. Anyway, Jack, the Giant Killer. When good King Arthur reigned, England, despite all the efforts of the valiant knights of King Arthur's Round Table, was troubled by many giants who did most terrible deeds in the land. It was in those days that there lived near Land's End in the county of Cornwall a farmer who had one only son, Jack. Jack was a bold, brave lad and of a very ready wit, so that nothing and nobody could get the best of him. Now out in the sea beyond Jack's home rose a rocky island called the Mount of Cornwall, and on that island dwelt a huge giant named Cormoran, who was the terror of all the nearby villages. He lived in a cave in the midst of the mount, and whenever he wanted food, he would wade across a stretch of sea, which came scarcely above his ankles. Then, when he reached the mainland, he would snatch whatever he wanted. At his approach, all the people ran before him while he seized their cattle, making nothing of carrying half a dozen oxen at a time on his back. As for their sheep, he would grab them by handfuls and tie them round his waist till they hung there like nothing more than a string of tallow candles. For many years he had done this, so that all Cornwall was in despair. But, When Jack was of an age to understand these things, he had no mind to run from the giant. So he went to his father and said very boldly, This cormoran has troubled the land long enough. Tis time he was slain. And I'm the fellow who means to go forth and slay him. Nay, nay, the father cried in great distress. This you must not do, my son. For if you go forth against the giant, tis you who will be slain. Remember, you're only a farmer boy, having no weapon at all which to fight a giant. You're not like the knights of the round table who have fine swords to fight with. No matter, quoth Jack. I shall do very well without a sword. So he got a horn, a shovel, and a pickaxe and on a dark evening he rode quietly to the mount. There he took his shovel and started to dig. Before daylight he had dug a pit twenty-two feet deep and nearly as broad, covering it over with sticks and straw. Then he strewed dirt on top of it all so that it looked like the rest of the ground. 
After that, he placed himself on the opposite side of the pit farthest from the giant's lodging. Just at the break of the day, he put the horn to his mouth and blew it. Tantavi! Tantavi! he blew. Well, of course, that noise woke the giant up. Rushing from his cage, he saw Jack and cried, Villain! You villain! You've disturbed my rest. I'll make you pay dearly for this. I'll take you and broil you for my breakfast. But no sooner had he spoken than he stumbled into the pit. And so big was he that he made the very foundation of the mount shake. Ho, ho! laughed Jack. Where are you now, O oh giant? What do you think at this moment of boiling me for your breakfast? And he raised his pickaxe, gave the giant a mighty whack on the head, and killed him on the spot. Then he filled up the pit with earth and searched the giant's cave, where he found much gold and other treasures which Cormoran had stolen. Now, when Jack got back to town, he found all the magistrates in the town hall holding a council as to how they could rid the land of the giant. And they were so happy at hearing Jack had already slain him that they not only told him to keep all the treasures he had found, but declared that he should henceforth be known as Jack the Giant Killer. Then, to the youth's great delight, they presented him with a fine sword and a splendid belt, on which were embroidered in letters of gold, Here's the right valiant Cornish man who slew the giant Cormoran. After that, Jack, having plenty of treasures from Cormoran's cave to keep his mother and father in comfort, decided to leave them and finish off a few more giants who were plaguing King Arthur's land. So he said goodbye to his parents, and off he went, tramping along and along and along on the road that led towards Wales. Already the fame of his victory over Cormoran had spread across all West England. So a giant named Blunderbore, hearing of it, took a mighty vow to be revenged on Jack if ever he should catch him. Now Blunderbore was lord of a castle situated in the midst of a lonesome wood, and Jack, having walked a long, long way without any sleep, was nearing this wood when he sat down to rest by a pleasant fountain. Then, being very, very weary, he fell asleep, though it was not yet midday. Well, while he was sleeping, Blunderbore, coming to the fountain for water, discovered him, and learned from the lines written on his belt that this was the far-famed Jack the Giant Killer. Without more ado, he picked Jack up, slung him over his shoulder, and went off with him, tramp, 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 carrying Jack to his castle. When Jack awoke, he was fast in the clutches of the giant. Needless to say, he shivered and shook for a time, and he didn't feel any easier in his mind when Blunderbore took him into his castle, and he saw the courtyard there all strewn with human bones. Ere long your bones will lie with these, the giant bellowed, for I mean to eat you with my supper. Then he locked Jack in an immense room on an upper floor while he went to fetch another giant 
his brother, to share in the meal on Jack. For some time, Jack waited. Then he went to the window and looked out. Far off he saw the two giants coming. Now, quoth he to himself, my death or my deliverance is at hand. And searching about his room, he found in a corner two strong ropes. Taking these, he made a noose at the end of each. Then, looking out of the window again, he saw that the giants were just below him, unlocking the gate of the castle. Quickly, he threw out his rope so a noose fell over the head of each. Then he drew the other ends across a beam in the room and pulled with all his might till he had those giants dangling by their necks with their legs jerking in the air. At that, he slid down one of the ropes out the window and on till he reached the giants when, drawing his sword, he cut off their heads. Taking the keys of the castle from the giant who had owned it, he went through the place from cellar to attic, unlocking door after door. And in one of the rooms he opened, he found three fair ladies tied by the hair of their heads to hooks in the wall and almost starved to death. "'Sweet lady,' quoth Jack when he had released them, "'I have destroyed this monster and his brutish brother. "'You are now free.' "'Then, when the ladies had rejoiced and thanked him, "'he proceeded on his journey. "'He had come into Wales when it chanced that he got benighted "'and could find no habitation where he might sleep. "'However, he came at last into a narrow valley, "'where he found a large house and knocked at the gate.' But what was his surprise when the gate was opened by a monstrous giant with two heads? Yet, despite his two heads, this giant did not appear so fiery as the others had. For he was wily, covering his secret malice under a false show of friendship. Very pleasantly he greeted Jack and showed him with many kind words into a chamber where he might sleep. But in the dead of night, Jack heard him saying in the next room, Though here you lodge with me this night, you shall not see the morning light. My club shall dash your brains out right. So that's the sort of trick you're up to, quoth Jack. Well, I hope to be clever enough to thwart you and he laid a big stick of wood in the bed under the covers where he had been sleeping. Then he hid himself in a corner of the room. Soon the giant came in, and seeing the covers all humped up as though Jack lay under them, he struck several mighty blows on that hump with his club, after which he left the room, thinking that he had broken every bone in Jack's body. Next morning he was astounded when Jack turned up for breakfast whole, and gave him hearty thanks for his night's lodging. Ah, uh, uh, how? Now tell me how. Uh, how did you rest last night? The giant stammered. Did you feel anything? Anything at all? Nay, quoth Jack, I felt nothing but a rat, which gave me two or three slaps with her tail. Well, the giant was now completely bewildered, but he thought to get rid of Jack by setting him a task he could not perform. 
So he brought in a mountainous hasty pudding and said, Friend, dear friend, tis my pleasant custom to serve every guest in my house such a fine pudding as this. Tis most delicious, I assure you. But whoever proves himself to be such a weakling that he can't eat it all must, of course, be put to death. For you know as well as I do that little no-good worms have to be stepped on and crushed, so they'll no longer litter the earth. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Hey, parents. Yeah, you. Are you looking for a podcast your kids will really love? Well, we made one just for you. And for us. As genuine, all-natural kids ourselves, we know what makes a fun and interesting podcast. So we decided to make it ourselves. Every show is packed with interviews, stories, and on-the-ground reporting. We have interviewed everyone from scientists to Grammy Award-winning musicians to NFL quarterbacks. Listen to Wild Interest wherever you get your podcasts. Larger than 20 men could eat, that pudding was. So Jack excused himself for a moment and went to his room. There, he dumped his belongings out of the large leather bag in which he carried them on his travels. Placing the bag over his belly, but under his loose coat, he arranged it in such a way that he could slip spoonfuls of the pudding into it when he seemed to be carrying them to his mouth. Then, returning, he sat down at the table with the giant and managed to make it appear that he was eating all the pudding when the truth was that by far the greater part of it was going into that bag. And when, to the giant's amazement, he had disposed of all the pudding, he said boldly, "'I'll show you a trick!' And taking his knife, he ripped it across his front as if he were slitting his belly, though it was only the bag he was cutting. Then, before the giant's very eyes, out came all the hasty pudding. "'You see,' said Jack, I can safely rip my own belly open. That's a trick you can't do. But the giant wasn't going to be outdone by any little whippersnapper. Odd splutters, he cried. I can do that trick, too. And seizing the knife, he ripped open his own belly and fell down dead. So now, having disposed of five giants, Jack went on his way again. Now it happened at this time that King Arthur's only son set out for Wales to visit a beautiful lady with whom he was deeply in love. But the demon Lucifer had cast a spell over the lady, so that at times she seemed as one crazed and did only Lucifer's bidding. Very deeply the young prince wished to free her from the demon's spells. He was going along in Wales when he fell in with Jack and told the sad story to him. At once, Jack asked permission to accompany the prince on his mission. To this, the prince agreed. He got a horse for Jack, and the two rode off together. When the sun got low that evening, the prince said, Jack, we should find ourselves lodgings for the night, but there's not a house in sight. Rest easy, sir, Jack replied. I have a cousin who lives within two miles of this place. "'Tis true he's a giant with three heads, and tis true that, alone by himself, he can fight five hundred men in armor and put them all to flight. But he'll give us beds for the night. 
"'Nay,' cried the prince, "'that's no place for us to lodge. "'Your cousin would surely chop us up at a mouthful.' "'Wait and see,' quoth Jack. "'Let me go ahead and prepare the way, "'and do you stop here till I return.' "'Then Jack galloped off with a thunder of hoofbeats, "'and when he came to the gate of the castle, "'he knocked so loud that he made the neighboring hills resound. "'Who's there?' roared the giant. "'Only your poor cousin Jack,' Jack answered. "'And cousin, I come in haste, for I bring you bad news.' "'Bad news?' the giant snorted. "'What bad news can there be for me? Have I not three heads? Can I not fight five hundred men in armor and make them all fly like chaff before the wind?' "'Aye, aye,' quoth Jack, "'but, cousin, I've just seen a king's son coming with a thousand men in armor.' "'A thousand, cousin! They're coming here to kill you and destroy your castle.' "'A thousand men in armor?' the giant was terrified. "'That's bad news indeed. Five hundred I can handle, but a thousand? A thousand will kill me.' "'Cousin, I must hide myself with all haste. "'Come with me to my secret room, "'then lock, bolt, and bar me in, "'and keep the keys until the king's son is gone.' "'So Jack, going along with the giant, "'locked, bolted, and barred him in a vault beneath his cellar. "'Then Jack went and fetched his master, "'and they made merry, "'whilst the giant lay trembling in his vault.' Next morning, Jack rode off for three miles with the prince. Then, thinking that his master was far enough away so that the giant could not catch the smell of him, Jack rode back and let the giant out of his vault. "'Cousin!' the giant cried. "'You've saved my life! You've saved my castle! How can I reward you?' "'Why?' Jack answered. "'Just give me that old coat and cap, those slippers, and the rusty sword which are beside your bed.' "'Cousin, cousin,' the giant cried, "'you know not what you ask. "'You ask the most precious things I own. "'For the coat will keep one invisible, "'the cap will tell one what one wants to know, "'the sword cuts asunder whatever it strikes, "'and the shoes are of extraordinary swiftness. "'Yet, but for you, I would have been slain, "'so I'll give you these things gladly.' Then he got the coat, the cap, the sword, and the shoes, and gave them to Jack. Jack thanked him for them, left the castle, and rejoined his master. After that they arrived very soon at the house of the lady with whom the prince was in love. The lady was very fair. She received the prince most lovingly, and that evening she had a fine banquet spread before him and Jack. But when they had eaten, there suddenly came to her eyes a crazed look, and Jack knew that the evil demon, Lucifer, now possessed the poor maiden's mind and spirit. Rising, she kissed the prince on his lips, but in a manner far from loving. Then she cried out in a voice that was piercing and shrill, "'Tomorrow morning you must show me the lips I kissed last tonight, or my headsman will cut off your head.' "'That will be no difficult task if you kiss no lips but mine,' the prince replied, "'for I'll show you my lips.' 
But at that the lady gave a crazed sort of laugh and said, As to whose lips I shall kiss last, that's something I'll leave you to guess. And off she went to her room. Then the prince was dismayed and in great sorrow. But Jack's cap of knowledge told him what to do and where the lady would go. So he put on the coat of invisibility and the shoes of swiftness, and flew through the night to the dread abode of Lucifer. Standing beside the demon, all unseen because of his magic coat, he waited for a little time. Then in came the poor crazed maiden, for Lucifer had drawn her to him that he might destroy the young prince she loved. As though in a trance the maiden bent over and kissed the demon. Then off she went again. No sooner was she gone than Jack took out his magic sword and cut off Lucifer's head. Carrying it under his invisible coat, he took the head back to the prince. So the next morning, when the maiden demanded that the prince should show her the lips she had kissed last the night before, the prince brought out Lucifer's head and held it up by the horns before her. Then the young lady laughed and cried all at once and she knew that she was free of the demon's enchantments forever. Most lovingly she kissed the prince, and they were married at once. The next day all three set out for the castle of King Arthur, and the king was so pleased, not only with the help Jack had given his son, but with all his exploits in ridding the land of so many giants, that he made Jack one of the knights of the round table. I have to admit, my lovelies, that there is more to this story, but I will have to read that to you next week. So be sure to come back for part two of the continued adventures of Jack the Giant Killer. What do you think he's going to run into next? Bedtime Stories with Celosia Crane is proudly produced by Lantern Audio Works. If you guys are enjoying this podcast, please consider supporting us through our merchandise store at lanternaudioworks.com. There you will find not only Bedtime Stories with Celosia Crane merchandise, including t-shirts that range from toddler sizing to adult in both men's and women's, as well as onesies for your little, little ones, uh, coffee mugs, water bottles, stickers. But you will also find merchandise for our other podcasts as well. You'll find Old Bob merchandise, Brimstone, as well as the podcast that I co-host with N.J. Sullivan, Punks in the Library. So head on over and check it out. Maybe find yourself a little something to take home and help support us as we continue to create great audio for you. 
And again, the address for that is lanternaudioworks.com. Thank you. If you enjoy this podcast and would like to connect with me further, you can find me on Instagram at Crane underscore author. Link is in the show notes.